0: Hello, and welcome to Relevate Presents Scholarship, the podcast where we use real research to analyze, scrutinize, and humanize your favorite TV and movie couples. I'm your host, Eric Goodcase. Hello welcome to a special family edition of Relevate Presents Scholarship. We're going to be talking about the sitcom Modern Family that ran for an incredible like 11 seasons up until 2020. And with us to talk about that is Dr. Jeremy Cantor. Dr. Cantor is an assistant professor at the Child and Family Studies at the University of Tennessee. Uh, Dr. Cantor, thanks for joining us.
1: Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me on.
0: And as always the Oracle to my Batman. I wasn't going to say Robin, but Robin doesn't do as much as Oracle does as Denzel Jones. Denzel, how you doing? Appreciate
2: it. Uh, Glad to be
0: here, as always. All right. Sounds good. So, Jeremy, uh, we usually give our guests a chance to talk a little bit about their research and what they're passionate about. So if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to to everyone and say a little bit about uh, what you research and why it's important to you.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Uh, Broadly, my research really focuses on how couples' relationships develop across a life course. So in particular, I'm really fascinated by relationship satisfaction and how it changes from when a couple, you know, they start dating to as they progress, it could be either in marriage or cohabitation, whatever that might look like. And then an extension of that, I'm really interested in what factors predict changes in uh, in relationship satisfaction or relationship processes over time. And then taking that at the other end of the spectrum, what are some of the outcomes? So how does how satisfied we are in our relationship influence our mental health? How does that influence other family members? And then another kind of line of my research is taking all that basic knowledge and how do we apply that to couples in intervention work um, or community engagement work to help promote kind of high quality relationships uh, across the life course?
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really, um, important component of this too. And that's one of the reasons why we do this podcast, right? Is there's so much great knowledge out there and it's just like, how do we, how do we use it in the right way? You know, how do we find ways to, um, either help people learn it or help people apply it, whatever the case might be. And, you know, if you don't have an answer for this, that's fine. But if you were giving advice, this is a little different than, you know, um, Something more application research, but if you were giving advice on how to give advice, let's say, kind of a person wants to help, they have some of this relationship knowledge that they learned from listening to our podcast or reading something and from a reputable source, then they're trying to like help their friend or give advice to either their partner or their friend or someone. What are what are some of the things that you think are like particularly helpful in that?
1: I think stories are really important. So as much as so I'm I'm a big quantitative researcher, so statistics. Um, And all that fun stuff is, you know, really important to me. But I think a story or a narrative is really useful. So if I'm talking to someone else and trying to illustrate or give advice about something, you know, if I say, well, you know, you should communicate better because communication is associated with, you know, a 50% increase in satisfaction. Like, that's not going to do much for them. But having more of a narrative or a story or some sort of connection, I think will illustrate a little better and get that point across to someone much more, and it'll stick with them, and they'll remember that, I think, much more than, you know, a random statistic that we like to kind of throw around in academic journals.
0: Absolutely. I agree with that. I feel like um, one of the reasons why I think um, talking about TV shows and movies is such a fun experience is because it's easier to connect to, you know, seeing a TV couple doing something than, you know, like you said, reading an article or learning a statistic. So, it seems like the perfect transition to start talking about Modern Family. Then, so thank you for the setup. With this show, uh, it's been on for a pretty long time. Tell me about when you first got into it, uh, when you first started watching it, what your relationship is with the show.
1: Sure, sure. So I started watching it years ago, not not in any particular order. Like I would just see it on TV, I'd watch it um, if it was on, but I didn't really start following it chronologically until uh, the pandemic. Uh, so when the pandemic started. Um, It was my first pandemic show with my wife. So when everyone was kind of, or a lot of people were hunkering down, that was my show or that was a show we chose. So we kind of went through it. Um, It helped us kind of manage everything else going on um, around us. And then it actually kind of springboarded into um, deeper conversations with my family and her family about like which characters we were. Like if we were a combination of certain (laughs) characters, which is, it could be a minefield in itself of if you... Relates someone to the wrong character or something. Oh, for sure. Yeah. but uh, So that's really where we started watching it more um, in-depthly was just during the pandemic. It was our first show that we kind of put on and was on in the background as we were doing everything else.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a fun conversation uh, in terms of what character you. So um, it's really easy with my wife and I. My wife is uh, a Pritchett and I'm a Pritchett spouse. Like it just fits. I'm more of a, a Phil... Cameron, and Gloria. She's more of a J, a J uh, Claire, and uh, Mitchell. So really easy to put us in a box. I don't know if, Jeremy, do you have a, a particular character that you identify with more?
1: So I, I've been told this, so I don't know if I identify with them, but I've been, <laughs> this is what I've been told from multiple, uh, from my wife's family uh, and her herself as well, is I'm a combination of Phil and Alex. Um, so I think I think they're trying to get at is that like kind of goofy nature, but also kind of book smart, etc., cetera, um, is, is what I've been told. And I, I see the Phil one way more than I see the Alex one. I'll say that.
0: Sure. Yeah. I feel you. I think Phil's the one who I relate to as well. So I think there'll be a lot of um, Phil talk when we get there, a lot of Phil's once we get there. So yeah, I watched it a while ago and I, you know, I, I, I watched it like around season one. I remember I watched all of season one with like some friends and this was like when I was an undergrad in college. So this is the show's been on a long time. And then you know, I'd watch it periodically, kind of how you talked about, because it is one of those shows where you can just kind of watch an episode, right? You know, it's a pretty traditional sitcom. You can pick up an episode, you understand the characters, you understand what they're going to do, and you don't need a ton of backstory to figure out, like, to enjoy it. And then now for the show, we started. My wife and I started watching it all the way for chronologically for the first time. We got most the way through. We got all the way through like half a season seven. So I, I'm missing a little bit at the end here, but hopefully that won't uh, throw us off too much. But it's 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 such a fun show, and it's. You know, it's a very kind of like comforting sitcom type experience. Denzel, have you seen this show before?
2: So, Eric, uh, actually, I thought, I thought I was going to have you this time. Uh, <laughs> I thought I had you. I went and I uh, I looked at the notes that you shared because uh, I do my homework on this sure. uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and some things were adding up to me. And I was like... Wait a minute, what's going on here? Like I thought I I thought I kind of knew this show, but maybe not. And I realized that apparently modern families and family ties are not the same thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean that kinda got thrown out the window. I mean if we were doing I guess family ties or even family matters, like I could have I could have came more prepared. But uh <laughs> Um, so this is what we got. I, I, I haven't seen modern family.
0: Well, if you want to throw any Urkel references when we talk about Family Matters, that's totally fine. There we go. Fun fact, and you, I mean, this, this can get cut. I don't know if it matters, but I didn't realize until like much later that he was not a big part of the show until later. Urkel, like it was supposed to be a pretty traditional sitcom until he got popular or whatever. Anyway, that's all anyone remembers from that show. So, speaking of Modern Family, kind of as this kind of like sitcom that falls in the same category as you know Family Matters, Family Ties, and all these. You know, it, the intention was to throw this twist on it, right, to kind of have family types that are not as represented in media and more represented in this show. So uh, Mitch and Cameron being a same-sex couple, uh, Jay and Gloria being kind of a blended family, both had previous marriages, both have kids from previous marriages, uh, then a kid of their own at, at some point. Um, it's also an interracial relationship. large age difference between them and then you know Phil and Claire kind of representing more traditional sitcom that you'd see with like a lot of sitcoms you've seen before so just in kind of reflecting on that what are your kind of thoughts in terms of how they kind of have taken the sitcom trope I guess and kind of like put a little bit of a spin on it
1: yeah it's it's interesting because I think to I think you're right like I think um, and I, I can't remember the exact date of when when the show started, but like I, I imagine I mean for its time, yeah, it was this very different portrayal of you know a, a sitcom for all those different types of family ties that they demonstrate. and I think I think it was a really good start, and I think we've seen this now more in sitcoms and you know shows um, on TV or Netflix and Hulu and whatnot. But this idea of these family these types of families have been around forever we just like haven't seen them in sitcoms ever. So it was this like, oh wow, this is such a unique thing for the sitcom world and I think it related it helped relate to a lot of people because they've been you know living in those types of relationships forever. And now I think I think we're starting to see kind of the evolution of that of well, now instead of just like, you know, one couple representing one type of family and you know, thinking that all families are like that one couple, we're now you know thinking more in, in sitcoms nowadays of there's a lot of variability, right? And uh, interracial couples, et cetera. So I think it was a really good starting point um, and kind of springboard for sitcoms to start moving away from just that even
0: Phil and Claire mold of that one, yeah. one
1: type of family.
0: And I, at first, you know, in my head as I was kind of watching through this, I had this thought as like, they're trying to like be this new kind of sitcom, but a lot of the storylines are so similar, right? Like you could you could draw a direct parallel between almost any sitcom you've seen before in a storyline that happens on modern family. You could, you could look at the stereotypes, of the episode of the characters and like mm-hmm. the, um, an uptake mom and a goofy uh, sometimes dumb dad and one kid's smart, one kid's vain and one kid's, you know, all these things that we kind of like can really draw like, Oh, I've seen this before a million times. And at first I was like, eh, they're trying to be so different, but it's also very familiar. And then I think it clicked for me that that's probably intentional, right? And the importance of kind of like having representation in pretty typical sitcom feel, but just kind of like, you know, just adding representation out of that. So they're not trying to like, you know, rewrite how sitcoms are written or anything like that. But it was a really great just to kind of say like, hey, this is, you know, like everyday families, everyday people. Like you said, these families, these kinds of families have been around for a long time in just kind of everyday situations. Well, at least everyday sitcom situations, which, you know. Always a little bit different, but I think it draws a parallel between like, if they had gone so far off the beaten path, you know, maybe we'd see like, okay, modern families are so different or outside of it. Really, it's just like, you know, we're all very similar in that realm. So I don't know if um, that was kind of what I thought about a lot thinking as I was watching through, because at first I was like, ah, this is so familiar. Then I was like, oh, you know what? That's probably intentional. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think you're right. I think they were very intentional on every family, no matter what. Type of family, you know, or whatever, however you want to label it or whatever, mm-hmm. are going through similar things, right? They're going through similar stressors and similar events as they, you know, progress throughout life. So I think it, they were very intentional in highlighting some of the differences that people might encounter, but also a lot of the similarities
0: as well. Exactly. Yeah. So let's let's get into it and I think we're going to go couple by couple um so since we usually focus on relationships and we want to um you know it's it's 11 seasons worth of show it started in 2009 and ended in 2020 which is crazy for a TV show that's awesome so we don't have time to talk about everything obviously so let's just start with our most traditional kind of like sitcom couple, Phil and Claire, right? This is another one where you could, again, you can draw the line to every sitcom couple maybe you've ever seen and like see a lot of similarities, but they certainly have their own um, flair to it. So thinking about the Phil and Claire relationship and thinking about, you know, the things that you do research on, relationship, satisfaction, how that affects you, what are your kind of like impressions of Phil and Claire through the years?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So first, because the show was on for so long, I think they do a really good job of something that, um, so I think the, the old idea of relationships was you get married, you're super satisfied, intimacy is really high. Everything's great. And then just like you decline over time, right? Your relationship satisfaction declines. And eventually you're like living two separate lives or whatever, like that. This idea that there's this like honeymoon period and then everything else is kind of Mm -hmm. downhill. And, A lot of my research has shown that actually, for the majority of couples, they're actually able to sustain that satisfaction. So, if they start highly satisfied, they're able to sustain that satisfaction over time. Uh, They might not go above it, like they might not get better, but they might be able to sustain really, on average, high levels of satisfaction.
0: Yeah. And do you mind if I cut you off for just a moment? No, because there's a, I don't remember the study in in particular. Maybe you can, maybe you're familiar with this one and can remind me. But, like you said, a lot of the research had shown that too, like there's this average decline. That happens. And really what we found out is a lot of that was because there was like a ceiling effect, right? There is this people who are getting married were pretty highly satisfied to the point where they couldn't go up a ton. So on average, people were going down because some people are going down. But like you said, a lot of people stay pretty highly satisfied. And, you know, it's a pretty, pretty... um Uh, optimistic way to look at things as opposed to like the previous pessimistic way that research was going like, and again, averages aren't always that helpful. So when we're able to look at the differences and the diversity in that, we start to see this group that's just staying highly satisfied. Sorry, go on.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. I I always uh, compare it to, you know, if you have, if you're grading ever for those teachers, like if you have 10 students and, you know, eight of them get a nine out of 10, but two of them get a two out of 10, like it's going to draw that average down. So when you have, when you're able to separate like the highly satisfied couples with the couples that are less satisfied, yeah, you see a little different pattern there. And I think Phil and Claire show that really well, like throughout the whole show, you don't really see a decline in satisfaction, right? That they're really able to on a day-to-day basis, you know, there are bumps in the road and, and conflict, but they are really able to sustain that satisfaction throughout the sitcom. I mean, obviously, it's a sitcom, so it's easier to, to pitch it that way. But they do show a really good job of, you know, they weren't just really happy and then everything's kind of downhill. But they're able to sustain that that uh, intimacy and satisfaction over time.
0: Yeah, and they handle bumps very well because it's a sitcom. They have to have bumps. And because it's a sitcom, those bumps have to be solved by the end of the episode. So just in terms of thinking about them, and, and probably in the other couples too, but specifically with them, what do you see from them that allows them to kind of like repair or to kind of come back together when they face these little bumps? So they stay at that highly satisfied level.
1: Yeah. I, I think part of it um, is, you know, the sitcom, like they have to resolve it. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I think a lot of it also is they're able to, and, and I think other couples do this on the show too, but they're able to communicate in a way that's not, and um, this is kind of pulling in a lot of John Gottman's work. They're, they're not criticizing each other. Like, You know, you're an idiot or you're lazy, but it's more so like this situation is making me upset this. So it's it's avoiding some of that blaming um, by attacking the person, criticizing the person versus like I'm upset with the situation. And I think the show actually does a really good job of illustrating like realistic aspects of conflict. Like we associate conflict with it being negative, like, you know, we want to avoid it or it could be really problematic. But in a lot of instances, it could actually be really beneficial because in the show, a lot of times after the conflict, they like uh, they understand each other better. Whatever they were talking yeah. about, whatever they 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 reach a new understanding or compromise or something that they didn't have before and was facilitated by that
0: conflict. Yeah, they both soften really well. Also, mm-hmm. Phil, especially I could I can't think of the example off the top of my head because I've been watching so many episodes the last month or so but i just have this kind of like image of him softening a conversation that could have been tension filled just having that ability to either if he's the one who feels like he had done wrong apologize and kind of like take ownership or if he feels wronged by claire in some way just be able to soften and like hear that and claire does the exact same thing as well and i just think that's so important just they're both both their ability to hear each other Um, And kind of accept that attempt at repair, accept that, you know, either an apology or accept that, you know, something went wrong in terms of communication or person got upset or annoyed or whatever the case is. And I think that's something that is really good takeaway from the two of them as I watch them.
1: Yeah. And I think it kind of connects back to that satisfaction conversation we're having before because they're satisfied, like even when they do get into conflict or they are harsh with each other they don't immediately, you know, go to a bad place or, you know, assume the worst in their partner. So that satisfaction is kind of also good, like a good momentum into resolving that conflict and avoiding some of those pitfalls.
0: Yeah, that's huge. So John Gottman talked about like the negative sentiment override, right? So the idea exists that if you have so many, you know, negative experiences with your partner, that you start to frame their behaviors more negatively. So if I have all this negative sentiment built up, if I have all these negative thoughts built up, like they're all these bad experiences, basically, even if they do something good, or maybe it's not good or bad, it's just even when they do something, I'm more likely to have the most negative interpretation of that event. Whereas, you know, Phil and Claire are the opposite. They have so much like positive will built up towards each other, which is great because if they do something, they make a mistake. I watched one of the re- episodes recently. Was uh, Phil had lied to Claire about one of his clients in terms of how she looked because he was attracted to her, and mm-hmm. you know, not not a great move on his part. And eventually, she found out. And it didn't really cause an issue. Obviously, uh, if you had seen that episode, Claire also had a situation where the yoga teacher was hitting on her. (laughs) Just a weird thing that they were both kind of lying. But they both were able to kind of like recognize that their partner had best intentions and didn't think of them as like trying to cheat or trying to like whatever the case was, even though, you know, it could have had that interpretation
1: yeah yeah absolutely. I think and also because it's always like a lot of their conflict is surrounding the family or the children, they also have that like okay, we might approach it differently, but like what is our end goal? like our end goal is to make a decision to better whatever the you know conflict is, so it's kind of that like us versus the problem mentality versus kind of turning on
0: each other absolutely, and that's you know Claire can be pretty competitive, and um <laughs> there are times where you know i i they might start to turn it into like a who. Knows what's better for the family or for one of the kids or whatever, but for the most part, they really don't get too far into that. Where they're, you know, they support each other, even if they have different philosophies, which they do have very different philosophies with parenting. And you know, Phil has a lot of trouble with the discipline or the setting boundaries part of parenting, and Claire tends to, um, in my opinion, and I'm sure a lot of other opinion, go a little too far in meddling with um has a little too few boundaries sometimes with meddling with um, good stuff, but they're still able to kind of like listen to each other and get pulled back or get pushed uh, up more a little bit to do certain things, which I've always appreciated about them too. Claire can help Phil kind of like step up a little bit and Phil can help Claire step back a little bit.
1: Yes, very much. So. And, and I, I will say because it's a sitcom, probably some of that's exaggerated because there
0: is. Oh, sure.
1: Yeah, in a lot of a lot of research, that like emotional labor that Claire does, um, which is is common in a lot of uh, different gender relationships, where it's this idea mm-hmm. of like, you know, mom's doing everything and dad's kind of aloof and doesn't really know what's going on, and that can cause a lot of tension when one part. I mean, when one partner's you know taking on too much of the responsibility. That can cause a lot of resentment in the relationship. So I think because it's a sitcom, they make that more silly. Um, and like mm-hmm. humorous, but definitely like if that wasn't a sitcom, that might, that might be problematic for the relationship.
0: Yeah. Say more about that. Say more about kind of the emotional label. Cause you, we could really, you know, I think as someone who myself and I, and I know you said this as well, kind of relates more to Phil, you know, I think sometimes Claire get, could get sometimes get painted in a bad way, you know, just in mm-hmm. the terms that she can be, like I said, she can kind of like get a little too involved in the kid's relationship, or sometimes she can come off mean or aggressive or whatever the case is these words that we might label it, but tell say more, a little more about that emotional labor component. Cause I think that's a really important component in terms of understanding relationships.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think emotional labor could look a lot of different ways, right? So the, the, you know, one example is one partner is always um, responsible for like, if there's birthday cards, getting birthday cards, getting birthday gifts, organizing things, making sure everything in the house is running smoothly. And when that falls all on one partner, that can cause a lot of stress, especially during parenting. So we're thinking about parenting, especially three young children. Like you need some sort of balance of respo- of uh, who's doing what in the household um, versus just one partner doing all the labor. You know, the, the could be the labor of changing diapers or cooking, but all these different things, and one, one other partner is kind of not doing their fair share, and so that can cause a lot of distress in relationships. Is that uneven balance? Particularly, we see this. Kind of playing out with men on average is sometimes men will not pick up that slack and women are left to pick that up. And that can cause a lot of stress in their relationship.
0: Yeah. I was also thinking about this kind of idea of like over functioning, under functioning that we sometimes talk about or see in couples and how there is, you know, some degree of healthiness that can come from one person doing like taking a little bit more on at certain times or maybe something that they're better at or whatever the case is. But when it becomes a pattern and the overfunctioner doesn't let the underfunctioner complete things, or the underfunctioner kind of like looks to the overfunctioner kind of like to take care of things, it can really kind of like play out in negative ways uh, if they don't communicate about it. And they certainly communicate about it. So even when they're having these discussions or having these issues that might arise from Claire kind of taking on a lot and Phil maybe not taking on as much and Claire maybe getting stressed because of that. They are able to communicate about that effectively where Claire might bring that up to Phil and Phil is for the most part willing to listen. And, you know, there are times where Phil doesn't quite step up or take on some of those things, but it seems like it's still something because it's, you know, everyone's working on something, but it definitely seems like something they they can communicate about, which is a huge step on uh, being able to work with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think we see that play out in the show a lot, but particularly when early or maybe middle of the show where Claire goes back to work and they have to kind of reset their expectations and kind of who's doing what in the household, because Phil was really the only one working outside of the household at that point. But when Claire went back to work, they had to reshuffle and they kind of did that pretty seamlessly. And so that's a good example of like, they're able to Balance each other out when there are these transitions or when they do need to make these adjustments.
0: Yeah. And like th- there are roadblocks too. I'm thinking specifically about, you know, Claire when she took over Jay's job and she was doing a lot more and she had her assistant doing things around the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and Phil just couldn't figure out how to do that. And, you know, Phil was kind of like messing up a thing or two. I don't remember exactly the storyline. But yeah, it was kind of, and it was kind of one of those things where Claire was kind of like doing things instead of letting Phil do things. And Phil was messing up things instead of, it was just a whole kind of a mess. But again, they were still to kind of come together and figure it out at the end, even though there was all this kind of like wackiness that had to come first in for it to get through that. Anyway, also, anything else you wanted to mention with Phil and Claire, either about, you know, as a couple or a par- actually, you know what, before we get there, Jeremy, unbeknownst to you. So I forgot to mention this to you earlier, earlier this month or uh, before that, I got a text message from Denzel with an article about, the um, stereotypical sitcom, dumb dad, the st- stereotype. And Denzel, I wanted to give you a chance if there was something you want to talk about this, because I know it's something that you are. I didn't give you a chance to like prepare for this. So <laughs> let me know if you <laughs> want us just to talk about it. But uh, I don't know if you wanted to say a few words on that, because that certainly kind of like plays out a little bit with um, Modern Family.
2: I uh, honestly didn't have much to to add to that. Uh, when I sent you that article, it took me all the way back to our second podcast episode. So if you haven't checked out that 90s Nick podcast, it's a really fun one that you should uh, definitely go check out and listen to. But I believe in that podcast, we also talked about uh, the similar phenomenon. And, you know, of course, we were related a little bit more to cartoons, also some live action, but mostly cartoons. And just having that realization of like, oh, wow, like, Typically the moms in the family are either a, you know, just really um uh, as, as you all were talking about earlier, like they take the responsibility of making sure the family stays intact. Like they do all of the the logistical things, making sure that also like the kids are, are nurtured and, and like have a safe space to be and are often portrayed to be pretty um what's the word I'm looking for? Pretty uh I guess pretty hardcore within that space, within that realm. And then that, of course, leads you to a lot of other, uh, you know, generals. Whenever we particularly think about like people like that, and like how we treat or talk about women who who take on those spaces, right? But then on the complete opposite side, like we get these dads that are really aloof and and dangerous and fun, right? And and the dumb ones. But you know, just kind of going back to that and just that realization of, you know, uh, I guess this is kind of what sells in sitcoms, and and you know, are those based on? traditional gender roles. I mean, I guess I, I can leave that up for for the audience to, uh, to, have, to have comments on, but uh, I didn't read as much of that article, but apparently there, there may be something to that. So maybe worth looking into.
0: Yeah, and I was just thinking of examples while you were talking of shows that I had watched in the past and like um, Everybody Loves Raymond and My Wife and Kids and According to Jim, which I don't think anyone else watched, um, Shots Fired at Jim <laughs> Belushi. No one else watched it. I don't think so.
2: Eric kept every many seasons the they had, on. every
0: many episodes. Eric, Eric, there you go. <laughs> Even shows like The Simpsons or Family Guy or animated shows, like it is. It's such a prominent stereotype. And as I kind of mentioned earlier, part of Modern Family was to kind of play into some of those tropes and sitcoms. Jeremy, I don't know if you have any thoughts on just the the fact that this stereotype kind of exists and in in media, and what affects that. You know, obviously, we're not we're not um, experts in terms of how media impacts things, but just in terms of like from you watching it and understanding, what are you kind of worried about the impacts of this portrayal? And if you can think of, if we can think of other examples of better portrayals, I'm trying to think of that as well. But if you have examples, go for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the you know anecdotal implications of it is I was thinking of time in the show that when Phil like gets serious and like quote-unquote parents right like like is actually firm with the children it's like seen as kind of humorous because like oh look at like this goofball doing parenting um and i think that's reflected in a lot of times like when you hear the term like oh the the dad is babysitting the child right like no yeah. the dad is what like parenting that's what's that's what parenting is but it's la- it's different language for dad sometimes because it's not seen as like "Quote unquote," what they're supposed to be doing. So I think the implications of that are felt in just the language we use to describe parenting tasks sometimes. Um, Because you're right, that that setup is like throughout all the sitcoms of you know kind of aloof dad, and then when dad's serious, like that's the humorous part. Like that's the joke is when all of a sudden dad's serious, it's like whoa, that was so unexpected. And I so I think that does get played played out in the language we use to describe just general parenting things that are not unique to mothers or fathers, but just parents in general.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I feel like the expectations for fathers are very low. Like, it's just like, oh, brought him to the park. You're such an amazing dad. Or you went on a field trip with your or your chaperone or whatever. You're such a great dad. And it's like, there's so many other moms here too. Like, this is like a it's just a parenting thing. But uh, the expectation level seems to be very, diff- very different for, um, like you said, different gender relationships.
2: Yeah, and As you were talking, even thinking about like who we would want to take care of our children, right? Like I'm I'm no father. I don't have children. But I'm thinking about if I'm putting myself in the Rugrats universe, right? And I have a feeling, Didi, I'm going to be a little bit nervous, like letting Phil take care of my children, right? I mean, I guess Rugrats may be a bad example because they kind of just go do their own thing anyways. But you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, like, you know, is that message like perpetuated throughout?
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I don't know the history of, you know, this trope or these sitcoms, although we can even point back to some of the older ones. I'm sure that we'd even like, I can, there are older examples, even the older shows had a lot of these similar kind of like things. This isn't like a new thing. I don't know the history of it, Uh, but it's certainly something that exists and it kind of plays into a lot of stereotypes about parenting that kind of reinforce some of the gender inequalities as well. So, as we're talking about this stuff that exists in these different gender relationships. Uh, actually, you know, before that, well, I'll leave it to you, Jeremy. Do you want to talk about Jay and Gloria next or Mitch and Cameron next? I, I was going to try to do a fun transition. Then I was just like, you know what? Let's just leave it up to whatever we have the best talking points about. Let's see.
2: You
1: can go, we can go Jay and Gloria and then Mitch and Cameron next.
2: That works. Let me, let me ask a quick question before you go on into, into yeah. the couple. Are these couples more like, like typologies where, like you can't really rank them but they fit into like, uh, like a like a particular type or are they more like tiered where like one couple is is could be considered healthy and maybe there's other couples that that may be considered like maybe not so
0: healthy um
2: that makes sense or? I think
0: I think it's more the 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 former than the latter because I would say they're pretty generally similar in health I think we could nitpick and say that you know some are more healthy than others, but they definitely all kind of like have the sitcom ability to wrap things up and keep that satisfaction going. Jeremy, I don't know if you have any uh, any different interpretation, but that's kind of how I saw it.
1: No, I, I think the same thing. I think you know, yeah, you could definitely have flaws in in all of them, but I don't. I think they're all just different places in their lives with different people. Is kind of their
0: how they're categorized, I
1: guess.
2: Gotcha for sure.
0: So. In thinking about Jay and Gloria, um, so this is a couple that, both of their second marriages, Jay's a lot older than Gloria. Gloria comes from Columbia. Uh, Jay's a very kind of like old fashioned value American and, you know, they work out pretty well. So what are your kind of impressions of their relationship? What are the things that you kind of learned about them as you kind of watched the show?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that jumped out to me, because I think it's kind of a constant throughout the show, um, and then it like really boils over in certain episodes, is how although they're both, I think, coming from, I think it's their second marriage for both of them, like their past histories of their exes continuously influences their lives. So it's not like they just, oh, it's our second marriage. We don't worry about what the other people are doing. They don't influence us. And so I think that really jumps out. And I, I, uh, a lot of my... Early work was looking at like intervention work for those who were going through uh, divorce. And a lot of, in a lot of states, you have to take like a divorce education class or a co parenting class. And one of the underlying messages of these classes is like, even though you are legally detaching from this person, they're likely still going to be in your life and influence you and influence your other relationships. And I think the show does a really good job of showing, of illustrating how these relationships continue to pop up and, they do a good job in the show of like you know there's there's little conflict obviously and tension but they they don't just try to cut that other person out entirely and I think that helps them actually in their own relationship as well that they have at least an amicable relationship with their their former
0: partners until DD attacks Gloria but yeah for the most part they do, they do their best
1: <laughs> that, yeah that's that's the boiling over yeah there's some <laughs> there's some points that are a little, a little you know uh escalation
0: the uh, um, footage or whatever from Jay and Gloria's wedding just uh, is so funny in all the worst ways. Like if that actually happened, it would not be funny at all. But in a sitcom, it's just hilarious. <laughs> anyway, anyway, where do you see their past relationships influencing their current relationship, and how are they navigating that? If that makes sense. So I think one thing. So
1: beyond Didi, you know, at times being all aggressive, uh, towards the, towards the family is that when she is in distress or when there is an issue or when she's having an issue with a different family member, Jay and Gloria are kind of there to navigate and facilitate and kind of like mediate that a little bit. So I think they're a little more accepting of she's going to be in the family's life forever. And so if we're going to, you know, be distressed this forever, it's, it's just going to, it's not going to work especially I think during like big transitions and big events in the family. So again, going back to that kind of those classes I used to help co-facilitate is we used to tell a lot of parents, you know, when you, your kid's five right now, let's say, and you're going through a divorce, but when your kid goes to, you know, birthday parties, graduation, that other partner is going to be there because they're still part of that kid's life as well. And so I think when there was major events that happened within the family, besides the the wedding, when things didn't go so well, they were able to try to navigate that a little better um, or just realize that our our romantic relationship is done, but like, I still need to value you as a, a person in this family.
0: Yeah, and I think both of them have experiences where their experience in their past relationship, their choice of new partner signals some growth. So I think especially about Gloria. I think that's the easiest one to see. So Gloria's ex-husband, Javier, is you know a, a a fun time right he's a good time he he's a little bit crazy in a fun way he might get into trouble here and there but nothing like super serious and is kind of flaky with manny especially at the beginning mm-hmm. and you know it sounds like they had a pretty volatile relationship in terms of fighting however in her new partner she picks someone who is very stable who was willing to kind of like have conversations with her about things and um was the opposite of flaky, you know, Jay was always there, even when he made mistakes, he would kind of come back. And like, that was like one of the constants he had. And I think that's a really positive part of it as well as like, it's not that the new person fixed that, but they, um, they went through personal growth somewhere in between there that allowed them to kind of like pick a new partner where they were in a relationship that fit them a lot better.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's absolutely correct is they, they changed in some capacity, right. From
0: whatever and it might not have
1: been the total opposite but at least right. they they narrow down or able to think about okay here's what i really value and here's the things that i'm like well this is great but it's not it's not a key thing
0: exactly yeah and i think it's important what you just said there about it's not total opposite because that would also reflect not gr- no growth right if you just had a partner and it was a bad relationship or even if it was a good relationship and then it kind of went bad and you picked the exact opposite that doesn't signify any growth that's just kind of picking the opposite of what your last partner was. And you're probably gonna have brand new problems that are very similar, maybe with just look a little different. But the fact that they're able to find like a good, healthy relationship kind of signifies that they're able to like find things. Cause you know, uh Jay and Javier obviously have some stuff in common. They had a lot of fun together when they <laughs> went to Dodger Stadium somehow. Uh but yeah, I think that signals a lot from them and just they're able to to grow in between and learn from maybe past mistakes in relationships or learn from their past relationship and finding a new relationship and stuff like that. Because you know, um, it's, you know, it's hard to, you know, even when we break up with a past relationship, sometimes those problems come back in a new relationship, either our own insecurities our own interaction pattern or, or whatever the case might be, might happen, but they did a pretty good job of not letting it repeat itself completely.
1: Yeah, yeah, it reminded me a lot of uh, so a colleague and I,
0: Kale Monk, who I think did a episode with you all. Yes, on the Front Friends. Ah, okay. So I don't know if we've already referenced two former episodes. So now we gotta now we gotta keep keep getting those.
2: See how many we can pack in one episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the new goal. So he and
1: I did a, a study with some other colleagues as well, and it was we looked at folks who broke off their engagements. So really fascinating study of talking with people who. Got engaged but eventually ended up breaking off the engagement and what that was like. And they talked about the similar thing of like, even though, you know, the breakup was was really hard and stressful, they were able to take something away from it and build in a capacity of either in their new relationship, in their new current relationship, or if they were single, what they wanted. And I think the show does a good illustration of comparing and contrasting, like here's what the former relationship was, here's how they grew and and how they maybe Uh, we're able to be a little more compatible with a new partner
0: definitely so let's also think about you know just the difference in you know if we were to look at the two of them jay and gloria there's obviously some very large differences in terms of age in terms of background in terms of race thinking about all those things what allowed them to kind of like have the relationship they were able to have even though they might have all these differences in values and differences in background and all that
1: yeah, I, I think one of the things that so one of the really good things I think that the show illustrates is, although they they a lot of times will poke fun at Gloria and, and her, you know, I think I believe she was Colombian. So it's like her her traditions back home versus here and etc. And they kind of they they sometimes poke fun at that when like push came to shove. They show Jay a lot of times like leaning into those things. Like, Okay, I want to embrace this. If it's your, if it's something you believe in, something you're interested in, I want to be interested in that. Um, I think the really good illustration of that was, I think it was the last episode, Jay's learning Spanish for Gloria, like surprising her and learning uh, Spanish. Uh, so when they go visit Manny, I guess I should say spoiler alert, I guess, because we're talking about the last episode, but uh, who knows. But either way, like he's able to really lean into that in a way that I think shows that he is interested in her and what she's about and not just, well, no, you need to change for me. Like I'm going to meet you halfway or whatever and try to understand things as well. Um, which I think makes them work really well.
0: Yeah. And that's the, one of the hard parts to manage with either some, any kind of like intercultural relationship, which, you know, could be almost any relationship because everyone has different cultures of some kind. But when, one person's culture kind of fits within the dominant culture and one person does not it, you know uh, Gloria was having to kind of like accommodate all the time to okay. American culture in her everyday life whereas Jay would just have to like resist for half an episode and then be like all right fine I'll try this food or whatever 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 it was um, so there's some really big differences there and how that plays out and because it's a sitcom and it went on for 11 years Jay had to do that probably a hundred times where he was like, I don't like this. And it's like, Oh, I'll try it anyway. Uh, Or I'll do it anyway because I care about you. So just, yeah, just that willingness to match Gloria in some way, showing the respect that he has for her is so huge because again, Gloria is always having to accommodate her culture Mm -hmm. um, to be just to exist normally. And Jay, even though he's an incredibly um, kind of like stubborn sometimes, I think, Honestly, he has a reputation for being more stubborn than he actually is. Sometimes I feel like because he does do a lot of things, it just takes him. Anyway, because I'm trying to remember if it was that episode or a different episode. It was either that episode or the episode I watched right before the finale because I jumped around a little bit after I didn't quite finish. Where he had gotten Joe kicked out of school because they were having like tandoori chicken at the at the Thanksgiving, and he's like, "That's not how Thanksgiving is," and he was throwing like a whole thing about it. So he definitely has these very old school values that he has trouble getting rid of, but just the fact that he's willing to kind of like meet Gloria halfway and sometimes more than halfway and sometimes only a quarter of the way, but just the fact that he's like making efforts for that is really big, I think for their relationship.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. And I, I think another way that's, that's shown is throughout the show. It's not a specific episode, but they always go out with like couple friends. And so they're able to like, I think that's really important as well as the Modern Family Show illustrates how like it's not just about me and you and our relationship, but it's actually about like our friends and all of those other social networks that influence us. And I think they're able to find a balance in their friends outside of their relationship as well. And then still, Jay also meets her halfway there, where I think there's an episode where they go salsa dancing. And surprisingly, he doesn't like to salsa dance. <laughs> um, but eventually, by the end of the episode, like I think he goes back and Salsa dances with her. So it's a, they always are showing no matter what kind of sphere of life they're in or interactions with friends or with just them. Yeah, there's always that accommodation or willingness to kind of move out of their comfort zone.
0: Yeah. And that's huge too, just in terms of him being the stepfather to Manny and being able to do that for him as well. Mm -hmm. I also just wanted to uh, briefly kind of talk about the age difference. And I don't really have um, a ton of stuff here, but I think it was, you know, The thing that sticks out to me the most is the fact that they talk about it. It wasn't something that was unspoken. And whenever Jay had some kind of insecurity about being older, whether it was when Joe was born or other times where he was worried about kind of like being the old one, I think the fact that they were able to kind of like have those conversations together is really good. Because again, Jay has this reputation for not being able to be vulnerable. And he, you know, isn't particularly vulnerable all the time, especially when you look at someone like Phil, who just is just a walking ball of vulnerability. (laughs) <laughs> um, in terms of his ability to do that. Uh, just the fact that he's able to have those conversations with her, I think is good. That's all I really had on the age thing. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add in terms of like the difference in age that they had. You no, know, I, I think
1: they, you know, I think that's right. I think they're very explicit and intentional about discussing those things. And I also think, and this kind of ties back to what we were talking about, they're always, they're both really appreciative of like the other person's family. And that ties into kind of the age aspect and where they are in life as like individuals. But there's never this I mean, there's probably, you know, certain times where they poke fun at it, but like when you get deep down, like they're very appreciative of what the other one does for the family. So if it's Jay working or Jay, you know, organizing things or whatever, or Gloria's, you know, ability to, to help, you know, when Manny's stressed out, et cetera, um, they're both recognize those things. It doesn't go unnoticed to the other person.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a theme for all the couples in terms of like appreciating each other it's one of the things I think a lot about with Mitch and Cam too. So I feel like that's a good, that's my attempt at a transition here.
2: Well, before you transition and I'll let you do something very smooth. I'm going to have to interrupt you for a second. Oh <laughs> uh, no. So Whenever you say age difference, are you speaking of the date, age difference between Jay and Gloria or the age of yeah. between the couple unit of Jay and Gloria versus the couple unit of Phil and?
0: Yeah. So the age difference between Jay and Gloria. So Jay is much older than Gloria. Gotcha. Yeah.
2: Okay you clarifying a uh, comment. I
0: appreciate it. So one couple that doesn't have a huge age gap is Mitch and Cameron. See how I, I still work the transition in.
2: <laughs> you are too good for this.
0: <laughs> you can do I'll whatever you want you me. I got gadget. it.
2: <laughs> I'll get you next time.
0: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, uh, Gadget and Penny would be a good um, a duo, except Gadget's terrible. So maybe I won't use that one. Because um, Penny does all the work. As long as I get to be Penny. (laughs) Yeah, you can be petty. I'll let you be petty. (laughs) That's fair. All right. So let's talk about Mitch and Cam. So uh, Mitchell and Cameron, uh, I can't say they're the first same-sex couple in a major family sitcom, but it's certainly the first one that I was aware of. So a lot of eyes looking at them, basically. Uh, A lot of people who normally would not be maybe open to same-sex couples might be watching the show because it's such a mainstream show and things like that. So what are your kind of impressions of mission Cameron as a couple? We can talk about the context of them being kind of like one of the first major same sex couples in a sitcom, or you can just talk about them as they are as a couple, whatever feels most comfortable for you. But what, what are your kind of uh, impressions of Mitch and cam?
1: Yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind with, with them is they're, I think the show throughout throughout the seasons does a really good job of illustrating I like I think it's really easy when we think of you know Mitch and Cam of oh they might have these like really big stressors because like you know of, of stigma and discrimination but they do a really good job of showing also the everyday kind of ambiguity and things that like they have to deal with that people in heterosexual relationships don't have to deal with or don't have to think about and it, they don't make it a like a huge part of the show but it's kind of sprinkled throughout this idea of Whenever they're interacting with other entities, there's always, or there's a lot of times this like implicit, like, oh, is, is this, are they feeling discriminated against or is this something that's problematic? So it's less like obvious. And I think that's, that's important because it's not just always like discrimination is not always just like wide out in the open, but it might be kind of more implicit. And I think it's interesting how they, they weave that into the show um, in a lot of different instances. But uh, about them as like more of a, of a couple. I think they're the most opposite couple on the surface. Like they're very different, right? Mitch is, or yeah, Mitch is very more kind of serious, uh, and Cam is more kind of more of that goofy kind of out there. I mean, they come from different places. I think Mitch is from LA. Cam is from like rural Missouri. And regard, like despite that, whenever they have conflict in the relationship, I actually think they're the most interesting because they always seem to be the most explicit on their conflict. Like they, there was one episode where they're on a couples retreat. And I think Mitch or no, Cam disappeared to go watch the Royals um, who were like training next door. And Mitch found out and there was, they had a conflict. They had a heated discussion about it. And they kind of both put their cards on the table and they were really explicit about why they were hurt, what was going on. And then they were able to kind of resolve it and understand. So I think we talked about earlier in the podcast about the couples are able to like use conflict as a benefit. I think they do it quite a bit Is they're able to kind of mirror each other and balance each other out when they are dealing with something that kind of helps them navigate that, that relationship or that problem.
0: Yeah, I like that. You said that a lot because there are times also even like the very sitcom thing of like one person's not saying something, the other person's not saying something, but if they just said something to each other, they'd be on the same page they don't have that as much as with other couples. I mean, they definitely have that, but a lot of times they have that by like talking to the camera. Cause it's, you know, it's a, it was the time of the office. So it's a fake documentary. <laughs> and so they'll say like to the camera, it's like, Oh, I don't want to tell Mitch this, or I don't want to tell cam this. And then the next scene they're telling each other.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas I feel like, and this could just be a feel thing. I didn't actually write this down or take notes or take data on it, but I feel like Claire and Phil or whatever were likely to have things where they were kind of like, unsaid for a little bit longer, whereas Mitch and Cam definitely like, like you said, laid their cards on the table and doesn't mean they always did it right, but they definitely always were kind of like keeping that communication going. And again, they also repaired very well if the communication didn't go right.
1: Yeah, they I think they were the best example of this idea of like they didn't criticize the person. They criticized the situation. I didn't like when you did this, not like I don't like you as a person. And so they're Mm -hmm. able then to not go into that spiral of conflict and escalation. Um, because they're able to kind of focus on the problem versus the actual person.
0: And when it didn't go that way, I'm thinking about like times where Lily was doing, either Lily was biting early on their their daughter and they were both trying to figure out who was to blame. And later on, they were trying to figure out another reason why one of them was to, or something about her not being emotional. And it was either because Cam was too emotional or Mitch was not emotional enough. Even when they had those discussions, like that didn't lead to them going in different directions, they were able to come back together. So even one of those times where they did have a conversation that wasn't, you know, maybe that productive or is like, I think you're too emotional, like you're hurting our kid or whatever the case is, they were still kind of able to come together. And even though, you know, Cameron does sometimes take things personally and, you know, Mitchell does too, but Cameron being kind of the one who is more likely to do so, they still were able to repair in those situations where someone might take something very personally or someone might um, feel attacked which is really hard to do. Like when you feel attacked in a relationship, it's really hard to kind of like slow it down and continue that conversation in a productive way. But they're able to do that really well.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think they also, like they they would, you know, fight back and forth during, I don't want to say not big issues, but things that were not as big of an issue. But whenever there was like a major stressor in their life or a major decision, like that's when their communication, I feel like, shined. And a lot of my work shows the same kind of thing as, you know, communication is really important, but it's really, really, really important when we're stressed. Like when we're stressed out or we're dealing with something, that's when we turn to our partner for those like that emotional support. And when it's not there, it could be really problematic, but they're always able to kind of meet each other when they're dealing with some sort of big stressor or big um, decision in their life.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking about the time where they, at, the first time they wanted to adopt a second child and they were both really excited about it and having so many issues doing it and their ability to kind of like be, be able to talk about that situation, which is already full of so much hurt and disappointment and frustration, and to not turn that towards each other in a negative way, but to turn towards each other in a way that kind of like found comfort in each other is really mm-hmm. big.
1: Yeah, it's so. Again, mentioning Kale here, uh, he and I are collected data on uh, COVID nineteen couples during COVID nineteen uh, during the pandemic, and that's one of the things we we found was a lot of couples were able to kind of. Weather the storm. And another research has found this too, because they're able to turn towards their partner. Like when everything else was chaotic around them, that was their security. Like that was their s- stability. And it really helped them navigate the past
0: year. Yeah, definitely. I can I can see that very much so. It was years, nowhere else to go. So <laughs> <laughs> for those that were partnered, it was definitely um, good when you can turn towards um, your, your partner. I do kind of want to bring up some of the um, unique stressors that they might have faced being a same-sex couple so there was just a couple things here and there where obviously the the um, the adopting a child was particularly difficult or you know when they're part of the mom's group and the moms were calling Cameron like honorary mom and he was kind of struggling with that there was this whole thing between Jay Mitchell's father and then uh, Cameron's father about who was quote-unquote the female in the relationship or the more female one in the relationship and. Mm-hmm. They definitely had to navigate some of those things. And I was just kind of curious in terms of like your impressions about how they navigated those things together or what kind of other issues that they face together in that way.
1: Yeah, I, I think, I think those are a lot of the good illustrations of these, not like in your face things of discrimination or stigma, but more kind of subtle things um, of like what, you know, who, like there has to like, for example, the, uh, the two dads saying like, well, there has to be a, A woman in this in this relationship. So, which one of you is it? And so, I think they do a really good job of not letting that like energy like put a wedge between them. Like it could have been like I think in the episode they do a little bit like go back and forth on you know who's right or who's wrong with with each parent, but at the end they're able to see like okay, this is not as important as like what we have or what we're doing. And I think what you said earlier of their ability to just be open about it, right? Instead of just oh, that's an interesting comment that your dad thinks that and just bearing that down or not addressing that, like it's out in the open, right? They they talk about it and eventually they're able to think of a plan to address that situation as a unified front versus, well, why don't you just go talk to your dad about it? Or why don't you just go talk to your dad? Which I think they try to do at first, which wasn't very successful, but it's more so when they're able to come together and approach it as a unified front. Um, I think that brings them closer together then
0: that particular situation really speaks to like a part of the representation that I was really happy with, with this show. And I know there were criticisms and there probably still are ones that I'm maybe not as familiar with in terms of Eric stone street, being this straight person playing cam mm-hmm. who is, you know, um, kind of fits into a lot of stereotypes people might have about a gay man being more feminine or being more emotional or whatever the case might be. And, um, the thing that I really appreciated about both Mitch and Cameron is they were very, um, they were, uh, there was I'm trying to think of the word. Um, they're very complicated people. Like when we got to see all of those complications and all the parts of themselves flush out. And I think there's a, you know, I think it's season one, even there's that scene where Cam, we find out Cam was a college football player, you know, and, and he kind of makes this joke about being, you know, very stereotypically feminine on one end, but very stereotypical masculine on this other end. He can kind of like live in both worlds and like, that's part of his identity and he really kind of appreciates that and i really like that through that conversation with um, both of their fathers mitch's father and cameron's father kind of like having this strange gender you know argument is that it really highlighted the representation of both mitch and cameron being able to kind of like uh their characters being able to be so developed that they have these like very masculine and very feminine sides of themselves and mm-hmm. just showing the complicated of Part of a person, and not just kind of like amounting to a gay stereotype, which we see in a lot of other shows before this point and still at this time. So I, I really appreciated about that about bitch and cam in terms of like how they're kind of portrayed, because you know it, there's a lot writing on this portrayal, frankly, in terms of how it was going to and how um, TV was going to look at it.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the show does an excellent job throughout. Is yeah, not putting people in these like very rigid boxes, but really showing the complexity of. I mean throughout family life like you could be you know portrayed in one way but then in a different in a different context you're portrayed a different way and like both of those things are true and it's really unhelpful to be like no you have to be you know this rigid set of expectations
0: which is something that's really tempting in TV because sometimes mm-hmm. we need to take shortcuts to get to the plot point we need to be like this mm-hmm. is the way a person is because this is the way the sh- plot needs to go uh, obviously this happens more in movies because there's less time but even in tv shows there's just a lot of shortcuts that sometimes we take in character development again just out of the necessity of the fact that we have to fit an entire thing into 30 minutes or 20 minutes or a season and the fact that the writers of the show were able to kind of like work in a more complicated portrayal of all the characters not just mitch and cam but i think is really important those are all the kind of the big main couples of the family. However, obviously all the children kind of had their experiences relationships. So Haley started dating Dylan early on. Uh, that came full circle, which I was I didn't see coming. Um, <laughs> I should have saw it coming. Uh, Alex starts to have some dating relationships towards the end. Uh, a little bit in the middle. Manny and Luke. Well, Manny always wanted was kind of a um, an interesting character in terms of relationships. He seems to be borderline creepy in a lot of ways, in terms of, but he's like, he was also a kid for a while, so maybe I shouldn't put the word creepy on him, but was very uh, interested in girls from a young age. And then Luke kind of came into that as a little older. I don't know if they ever had a relationship. I don't, I don't, I didn't watch enough at the end.
1: It was, I, I think, with especially Luke, it was more like, I, I think during the end, they started bringing in Tinder dates and things of that nature. Yeah. I don't think it was anything serious.
0: He got a little, kind of think of a nice word here. A little misogynistic with his dating practices at some points, but uh, anyway, so any, any of the kids that you wanted to talk about in terms of like their relationships or their, maybe some stuff they got from their parents or stuff that you kind of like see play out in their relationships?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, so, so a lot of stuff from, I think it's fascinating, like the intergenerational illustration they have of like, you know, Gloria or um, Jay and like how he influences Claire um, and then I think Claire and Phil influenced their children, like so how their parents kind of did relationships or do relationships is then played out in either the same way or in a way of like, I did not like that. I want to do something different. And I think I agree with you. I didn't see Dylan and Haley kind of uh being together at the end, but you know, that that's where the show went. Um and Dylan's kind of like Phil, I think, in in some ways. I, I so I think there are some similarities there. I was cheering for
0: um, Haley and um, Andy. The yes, because he was Phil. He was the yes. second iteration of Phil, so I really like that pairing. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah, very much. Right, so it was, you could see the mirroring of like, okay, this is what worked in my parents' relationship. Maybe this is what I want, or this is what I think is compatible in my relationship as well. And I think we see that the most with Haley because Alex doesn't have. Too many in-depth relationships and and Luke the same way. We don't really see a lot of his relationships. One thing I, I really appreciated with the show was they they do a good job of talking about how the if young kids go to their parents for relationship advice. So like, and that's a very sitcom thing, but I think that is in real life too, where you know if you have this open communication in your family, you might seek out their advice or their guidance or their suggestions. Or siblings, right? Sibli- they like kind of talk to each other about what they should do in relationships. And that was, I think, really important. And you could see how that could be the opposite side of that could be really problematic if you don't have that communication with a family member, you know, where you get that advice from s- social media or whatever. So I think they do a good job of illustrating like how they navigate individual relationships, but bringing it back to how the family influences um, by giving advice or, or so forth.
0: Yeah, I just love the family vibe of the show in general. We didn't get a chance to talk about that because we're looking at just so many of the, like the individual like relationship mm-hmm. units, but it's just such a um, I don't know, a great warm feeling kind of sitcom thinking about family. It's one of those that always makes me think about my family and always makes me think about, you know, just that in general. And it just kind of makes you feel good. And I love that about the show as well. Yeah.
2: Sounds like you had a, a very nice family, Eric. Say again. I have a- Sounds like you have a very nice family.
0: I do have a nice family. Shout out to my parents. They're listening. They might, I think, I don't know if they still do. So mom and dad, well, mom, if you're still, if you still listen to my new episodes, thank you for your support.
2: So dad never uh, was. Is that what
0: that means? I don't means? think so. I'm sorry if you're <laughs> listening, dad. I just don't think he does. <laughs> but that's okay. My wife doesn't listen. So it's it's just. <laughs> Nobody listens there. <laughs> no, no one listens to me. Uh, except our fans. Except for you at home. Thank you, listeners you are my podcast family anyway. But yeah, I really enjoy just the ability for this family to kind of, like you said, to kind of like, you really see the patterns in them. You can see so much of the similarities in Claire and Mitch and what they got from Jay for better or for worse. And I do think it's very funny that, you know, Phil and cam don't have a lot of adventures together, but those are pretty, pretty similar people in terms of like their partner choice. And both have partners that ended up working out very well for them. I think there is an episode where, I, I forget what they call the, the group, but Cam, Phil, and
1: Gloria get lunch once in a while to like try to navigate how they should handle
0: Jay, Claire, and Mitch. Like, I don't know, remember this. That's so yes. funny. I'll have to find that. Okay. Was that early on or was that later on? Maybe I haven't got there yet.
1: I think it was kind of in the middle, I
0: think. Okay. Maybe I missed it.
1: But but they do that. So like they you know, they're very aware of like, okay, well, this is how they handle it in their family, and we have to be able to navigate that. And then the it ends up, you know, that the Pritchett side finds out that they're doing that and they're like, <laughs> what's going on? But it just shows like these family dynamics play out within the couple, but also throughout the you know, across the family.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I I was thinking about the pumpkin episode where they had the dreamers and the and the Pritchetts on either <laughs> end of this. Which is a good example of how, you know, they have these divides, but then they come together as well. So just to wrap up and thinking about, you know, actually, is there any other any other talking points that you wanted to bring up? Any anything else you wanted to kind of like bring up with the family or with the kids or with any of the characters we already talked about? I think comes to mind. Yeah, I think we covered a lot. So I think we (laughs) got through a lot of it. So thinking about just kind of families in general and family sitcoms in general. You know, giving getting that warm feeling. You know, like these sitcoms have been reproduced a number of times in different ways because they they produced that for us. So I don't know if you guys had favorite or least favorite sitcoms that you've watched and what your favorites were because now I'm kind of curious.
1: So there there were two that when I was growing up I really liked. The first one was Malcolm in the Middle. Oh yeah, yeah. Just because so I have two older brothers, um, so in the show um, there's three brothers as well, and they're really like different. Like each brother is very very different. There's and four like, brothers.
0: Is there four brothers? Because the, old, the older one is um, not in the house at the time, right? He's off. Oh, you're right. I forgot what he's doing. You're right. There is four brothers. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're very different though, right?
1: They're different Yeah. Siblings. yeah, yeah. And I, I resonated with that because I, I have two older brothers and we are all like completely different people. So my, my older brother is a, uh, he like owns a, a painting business, but also he does like amateur MMA fighting on the side, which is not something I do so we're just very different in that sense and so that resonated yeah. with me of having like different sibling dynamics kind of the chaos of growing up with brothers
0: in a, in a house definitely do you have a least favorite like one that you really didn't like I don't know if anyone has a least favorite sitcom you probably just didn't watch it
2: I was about to say did you just keep watching it yeah, yeah I
0: don't know I hate
2: this but I'm I'm committed at this point <laughs> so we're just gonna ride it I on think, out
0: I think it'd be one of those things if like your family watched it or something like that or I, I can't think of any reason
2: is, is, is Matlock a sitcom because my grandma used to kill me with that one <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: oh man. I can't think of any. Yeah, I think I would just not watch it. I can't think of any ones I would like yeah. definitely did not like.
0: How about you, Denzel? Do you have a favorite?
2: Yeah. So I'll just start out by saying I don't know if I have a, a least favorite, but favorite. Two comes to mind. One of them arguably is favorite, but also arguably arguably the best. And the second one is is more of an under the radar favorite. Okay. So the, the first one is definitely Martin. Martin. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, I mean, I don't really need to say more. It's just uh, all around classic, funny. You know, uh, Martin playing so many uh, different characters, so iconic. Love Martin. Second one is, is Wayne's Brothers. I just love Wayne's Brothers. You know, um, RIP to Pops, but uh, you know, just just two brothers who were very similar but also very different, and uh, this reminds me of of me and my brother. My older brother is uh he's still funny and goofy, but also a little bit more serious than I am. But like I'm just, just a just a total like younger brother goofy, like just that that stereotype of, of being a little brother and like always making a mess of things. And yeah, definitely Martin and Wayne's brother.
0: Nice. Yeah, I feel like uh mine's not a great answer because I think mine would be The Simpsons. It's an animated sitcom. Doesn't really count, I don't That's think, fair. in this same realm, but Honestly, Modern Family might be my favorite non animated <laughs> You know
2: me. An animation counts. You know me. I will always Absolutely. give you that validation if that's what you need.
0: Absolutely. But yeah, I think Modern Family might be one of my favorites. Like it's it's I think it's really funny and really good and I love all the characters and I this is one that I've like enjoyed watching <laughs> through and I can't say I've watched a lot of sitcoms through so or family sitcoms I mean. Like um, I've definitely watched a lot of sitcoms, but
2: You mean it's not family ties? It's
0: not your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to all of you for listening and a special thank you to our editor sandra lynn paul if you have your own podcast or would like to start a podcast and you need help with the editing producing or marketing of your podcast yeah. you can find sandra at sandralynco.com that's S-A-N-D-R-A-L-Y-N-N-C-O.com. If you'd like to become a part of Relevation Nation and get daily updates that can help elevate your relationship, you can follow Relevate on Twitter at MyRelevate or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MyRelevate. See you next time.